Welcome to Casting Hope, a sermon podcast of Hope Presbyterian Church in Columbus, Ohio. My name is Joe Hack, pastor at Hope, and we are so glad that you are listening in. We would love to connect with you in person at our Sunday gathering. In the meantime, we hope this message points you to Jesus, the reason we gather. Good morning again. So if you don't know this about me, I actually grew up in rural Indiana, rural-ish Indiana, we'll say. And on big game days in my high school, the farmers, um, I, you know, my high school was in the middle of cornfields, and the farmers who owned these lands and farmed these lands would sometimes write messages into the corn, into the cornfields, into their crops. But here's the thing, I never saw those messages because I didn't own a crop duster airplane and I never flew high above, I never saw it. But someone who did would always take a picture and then this would inevitably show up on the newspaper, you know, like after the game. So it's kind of a silly practice, but there you go. Um, The Bible, I want to say, is like this cornfield. Okay, so God has inspired every verse of the scriptures, every stalk of corn, but he's also written... Big messages and etched big images into his field. And we would miss these big images if all we did was walk through the cornfield and notice each and every grain. It's important to do that, of course. But it's also important to fly high and to see the images and to see the major themes. I recently read this great quote from 20th century theologian Richard Niebuhr. He writes, We are far more image-making and image-using creatures than we usually think ourselves to be. And guided and formed by images in our minds. Now God knows this. And He's communicated to us in His Word with these great pictures, with these great images in Scripture. So let's not miss them. Let's not miss them. Last year, we explored the entire Bible one book at a time. That's as if we were flying over the cornfield with a small crop duster. Well, one of the benefits of reading the Scriptures at such a high level is now we are privy to seeing some of these major themes etched across every single page of God's story. So that we can be guided, informed by them. And so for the next few weeks before we hit Hebrews, we're going to be exploring some of these big pictures that we've discovered in our journey. And we're calling this series Epilogue. We first explored the face of God. Last week, the creation of God. And this morning, we're going to be looking at friendship with God. So an image that God uses to describe his relationship to his people is friendship. Just let that sink in for a second. And let's ask some further questions. What kind of friendship are we talking about here? Is this like our Facebook friend or a Facebook friend who stalks us, who doom scrolls us, who sort of kind of yells at us when we write things that we don't... Uh, that he doesn't approve of, or who's secretly judging us, but from afar? Or is he like our work friend, who's sort of in our life, but just with small talk, and just with happy hour conversation, nothing in depth? Or is he, is this friendship that God has with us like our best friend, 
And what is a best friend? And how do we even judge? And so we're going to explore these questions and more this morning and see what the big picture of Scripture tells us about friendship with God. But first, let's pray. Lord, may the words of my mouth and with the meditation of all of our hearts this morning be pleasing and acceptable to you, our rock, our redeemer. And Lord, one thing we ask, and this only do we see, that we would dwell in your house this morning and gaze upon your beauty, especially in your word this morning. And in Jesus' name we pray this. Amen. Well, in college, I was in two, I'll say this, I was in two fraternities. Okay, So one was official with dues and chapter meetings and Greek letters, and the other was very unofficial. It was the friendships I had with other Jesus followers on campus. I eventually lived in a house with three of these friends uh, for two years. And while we didn't have much in common on the surface, like they had pictures of their sports teams on their walls and in their rooms. I had pictures of like the Jazz Masters on my, on my wall. So we were very different in a lot of ways. But we were so similar on the deepest thing, and that's Jesus. We all were committed to following Jesus. Wherever he led us on campus and in our lives, in that stage of our life. And so we shared life together in that pursuit. Uh, We stayed loyal to Jesus together. We stayed, therefore, loyal to each other in that pursuit. We were idealistic. We were sincere. We were invested. And not just in happiness or fun experiences, like friendship can often be. But we were actually invested in each other's souls. I can say that. We were invested in each other's souls. I've come to realize that what we were reaching for in that stage of my life is what one ancient British monk named Elred, what he called spiritual friendship. So nearly a thousand years ago, Elred wrote a book on friendship. I'm beginning to read it now, and I'm challenged by it. I'm inspired by his definition of friendship. He defines a friend as one who guards your soul. So scholar Hank Voss puts it this way. The definition of a friend is as a soul keeper or a guardian of one's soul has played an important role in Christian theology for many centuries. That's new to me. I didn't know that. I'm happy I know it now. Because it's an inspiring definition of friendship, it's also a challenge, isn't it? It's a challenge. See, both of my fraternities in college were houses of friendship. And both were formative, really formative. And that's to be expected. Friendship is always formative. But I have to say, only one formed me well. Spiritual form. Spiritual formation with spiritual friendship. And I want to say this. This is how God designed us. We are not meant to live alone. We are meant to live and we are designed to be formed by friendship. And this can be for good and this can be for ill. Can I get an amen? It can be for good and for ill. But we are designed to be formed by friendship. 
facts on the ground. <laughs> That's just the way it is. And this is why most of the Proverbs in their Bible is about friend selection. Proverbs 12, 26. The righteous choose their friends carefully. Wisdom, in other words, is knowing the power of friendship. Knowing the formative power of friendship. So I recently read a summary of quotes from a newish book called Friendfluence. The Surprising Ways Friends Make Us Who We Are. And this is by author Carlin Flora. This is another example, too, of how like modern science and modern inquiry is kind of catching up to the wisdom of the scriptures. Because she writes this, Solid friendships can help you shed pounds, sleep better, stop smoking, and even survive a major illness. They can improve memory and problem-solving abilities, break down prejudices and ethnic rivalries, motivate people to achieve career dreams, and even repair a broken heart. The formative power of friendships. And the formative power of friendships are not just stated in Proverbs. Like, it's not just a fact on the ground. But we also see, as we saw in our journey through the Bible, examples of soul guardianship friendship, spiritual friendship in the Scriptures. And I think of Daniel, I'm sorry, I think of David and Jonathan in particular. So David and Jonathan, Scripture says that their souls were knit. 1 Samuel 18. Now it came about when he had finished speaking to Saul that the soul of Jonathan was knit to the soul of David. And Jonathan loved him as himself. There's nothing more important to formation than the human soul. Amen? And so is it any surprise that if your soul is knit to another... That would be formative. God himself seems to share this definition of friendship. So in his law, in Deuteronomy, we probably didn't notice this when we were going through the book of Deuteronomy because we went so high level, but look at this. Chapter 13, verse 6. He says, If your brother, your mother's son, or your son or daughter, or the wife you cherish, or your friend who is as your own soul. The Dictionary of Biblical Imagery, which is a fantastic resource, by the way, has an entry on the image of friendship in the Bible. It's helped me, actually, in this message quite a bit. So the authors of this article connect the friendship that David and Jonathan had in the Scriptures to the friendship that Jesus has with his disciples. And I was like, that is so beautiful. See, David and Jonathan made a covenant. They promised loyalty to each other. They promised faithfulness to each other. They shared and they even expressed very deep emotions with each other. David even sought to care for Jonathan's descendants. We see that with Mephibosheth. Well, like David and Jonathan, Jesus weeps for Lazarus. And allows the, the disciple John to rest on his chest. Jesus entrusts his own mother to the care of John. At the cross. Jesus is covenantally faithful and loyal. To his Lord and to his disciples. Then and today at greatest cost to himself. Greater love has no one than this. Than to lay down one's life for one's who? Friends. 
Jesus is fiercely loyal to the Lord. He is fiercely loyal to his friends. And by the Spirit, what does he do? He knits his life to ours. Union with Christ. This does not mean that we become divine or we somehow become Jesus. No, we remain who we are, image bearers of Jesus. But we get to share in the life of the Lord in a mysterious way. Jesus is our friend. And this is no flaky friendship or shallow friendship, is it? This is the kind of friendship that we have with Jesus. Which is to say the kind of friendship that we have with God. And so when you hear in the scriptures that we are friends with God, we need to understand that we're talking about something pretty profound. I've been interested in this theme of friendship with God uh, really ever since I learned that an entire church tradition um, in global Christianity sees friendship with God as sort of like the most surprising and central truth of Christianity. And since then, I've learned that even folks within my own theological tradition share this viewpoint. Theologian Liz Carmichael, she quotes this 18th century British Presbyterian pastor, Richard Jones. I thought friendship with God a lovely representation of religion, writes Jones. God made man for friendship with himself, and the restoration of that friendship is the grand design of the gospel. Did you see that? This ordinary pastor, two centuries ago, flew above the cornfield and saw a major pattern in the Bible. And we could describe that pattern this way. Friendship with God, estrangement with God, and restoration with God. God graciously pursues friendship with us. And so for this epilogue, I want to do two things. I want to first say this. I want to see what the whole story of Scripture says about friendship with God. And then I want to ask, if friendship is formative, I want to ask these questions about how will this shape us then? How will this friendship with God form us if friendships are formative? And so first, what does the Bible say about friendship with God? Now, you might think that the Bible starts talking about friendship with God in the New Testament, and it's pretty silent in the Old Testament. But that's not actually true. Okay? Uh, there are many Old Testament people who experience God as friend. And so Job himself experienced friendship with God. Oh, for the days when I was in my prime, when God's intimate friendship blessed my house. Job's lament throughout the whole of Job is really that it felt like God was no longer his friend in his experience. Moses experienced friendship with God. The Lord would speak to Moses face to face as one speaks to a friend. A few weeks ago, we explored this face-to-face dynamic, didn't we? And we talked about a particular way in which receiving the face of another, especially when that face communicates, I want to be with you, creates a supernatural joy, a, what one person called a supra-emotion that sort of rides on any other emotion you're experiencing in life. Deep sadness, deep anger. You can have joy when you receive a face of someone who says, Non-verbally, I want to be with you. We explored that in depth. You can look at that on our website if you want to learn more about that. But what I'm struck by in this particular moment, and what we didn't explore then, is how that same face-to-face relationship that Moses had with the Lord implies friendship. One scholar writes, the face-to-face image implies a conversation. A sharing 
of confidences, and consequently a meeting of minds, goals, and direction. Abraham experienced friendship with God. But you, Israel, my servant Jacob, whom I have chosen, you descendants of Abraham, who? My friend. And this is reverberated all throughout the story. It's repeated by James in his letter as well. Abraham was friend with God. Now, in our cultural moment, it strikes me that these examples may not be shocking. In fact, we may wish for more examples in the Old Testament. And we may be just like, yeah, that's, that's great. God is friend. That makes sense. But I want to say, as others have pointed out, that in the ancient mindset, this was a thing. Friendship with God? That is unbelievably unthinkable. I mean, Abe, Job, and Mo, okay? So we just looked at. They knew that God was sovereign. They knew that God was holy. Like, take your shoes off holy. They knew in ways that we will never understand. They experienced the fear of God in ways that we will never understand. But they also experienced friendship. God created us in His image to experience friendship with Him. So, that's scandalous. It's unique. It comes at full fruition, too. With Jesus. Jesus is a friend to the unfriendable. The Son of Man came eating and drinking, and they say, Here's a glutton and a drunkard, a friend of tax collectors and sinners. Jesus has a best man for his marriage, his marriage to the church, John the Baptist, who says this The friend who attends the bridegroom, that's the best man, waits and listens for him and is full of joy when he hears the bridegroom's voice. That joy is mine. And it is now complete. Jesus cultivated ordinary friendships with Lazarus and Mary and Martha, kind of his brother, sister, house. And when one of them dies, Lazarus, you know this, this is what he says. Our friend Lazarus has fallen asleep. But I'm going there to wake him up. And he weeps at the sun. This is like an ordinary, deep, embedded friendship. And most shockingly, Jesus calls his disciples his friends. We heard read, greater love has no one than this, to lay down one's life for one's friends. So one of the reason that Jesus came and laid down his life is because friendship motivated him. This is not, okay, the cross is not some answer to some divine math equation. The cross is Jesus. It's, the cross is raw friendship. It's friendship. He does whatever it takes to restore friendship. So is it any surprise that the earliest community of Jesus people, they didn't call, they called themselves all kinds of things. They didn't just call themselves followers of Jesus. They also called themselves what? 